0: Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting, and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. In today's episode, we're going to revisit IFRS three business combinations, and we've got a new face in the podcast studio, Avni Mashru. Welcome, Avni. Welcome. Very excited to be here. It I'm, is I'm an avid listener. Oh, that's good. Well, you're my one <laughs> <laughs> the analytics. You're my that one listener. Me. Welcome back. I've been you? one subscriber on iTunes. Yes. <laughs> you can go listen to it afterwards. I will. Get yeah. your mum on there, that's two. <laughs> okay, so we have previously talked about IFRS 3 before with Mary, and we talked. We mainly focus on definition of a business because obviously it's one of our big changes coming up. I think what we thought we'd talk about today is maybe break the standard down a little bit, look at some of the basics of how you do a BizCom, and then some of the areas you see mm-hmm. where people go wrong. Mm-hmm. So let's start at the beginning, high level, easy question, how do you account for a business combination? Okay, high level, I'm going to use really basic terms because I like, I like thinking in just very Me basic. Too. So a business combination in terms of the accounting for and a business combination is just another fancy way of saying one company potentially acquiring another or merging with another, however you might phrase that. The accounting works as how much did you pay? What did you get in return in terms of assets and liabilities of the business? What might be the part of the business that you don't own? and something referred to as non-controlling interest. And then you end up with something called goodwill, which is the difference between what you paid, what the business is worth in terms of assets and liabilities, taking into account the bit you don't own, and that residual piece is that, that term referred to as goodwill. Okay, perfect. Or how I like to think of it is just like, you paid, you, you made a bad deal. <laughs> you should have put all of that as yeah, an expense. Sometimes. But that's not right. <laughs> it's definitely an intangible answer. Yeah. Um, okay, perfect. So basically, what you're paying gets what you're getting. Yeah. And then you've got that funny thing called non-controlling interest in the middle. So what you're paying is effectively your consideration, I that's think, right. term in the standard. Mm-hmm. Now, let's go through some of that. So what are the tricky bits of consideration? So consideration, and, and IFRS 3, the standard that, that tells us about business combinations, the last sort of significant rehaul of that was about 10 years ago now. And the big change with that, one of the big changes on the consideration piece of this was to say, well, consideration is only the amount that you have paid to the seller of the business to gain control. So the really obvious piece is you might get paid cash to acquire the shares of a business, That is consideration. Some of that amount, you may pay cash, and then you might have an additional amount that's contingent on future performance or future profits of, of, of the company. And again, that will also be part of your consideration, and it's called contingent consideration, and there's some special accounting around that. Outside of that, there may actually be other things that you pay in the context of a business combination that isn't consideration. A really classic one is transaction costs. So you might pay some lawyers, you might pay some other professional advisors to help you through that business combination, that acquisition. The amounts that you pay those people in terms of fees are not consideration in the context of the standard. Because if I go back to the standard, it's looking at what do I pay the seller to gain control? Well, I'm not paying those amounts to the seller. I'm paying them to a lawyer or professional advisor. And they're not directly related to gaining control. They help me form my decision or actually execute the transaction, but they don't make, you know, they don't give me control. So those amounts previously in days gone by, we would have considered transaction costs as part of consideration. Well, now we've moved away from that and said, well, unless it's directly payable uh, or receivable by the seller, you account for that separately. And what happens with transaction costs, I can hear all this is thinking, they end up in PL. Yeah. So you don't you don't capitalise them or you don't do anything special, they just go into profit and loss. So one of the things you talked about there was contingent consideration, which is obviously difficult in terms of measurement and what people do with it. The other thing I find that comes up a lot of that is, is it really consideration or is it actually compensation? Can you tell us a little bit about the issues there? Yeah. So the other scenario in terms of, again, thinking about consideration as the amounts you pay to a seller to gain control. Where it gets difficult and complicated is you might pay these amounts to somebody who is a seller of the business, so is a shareholder of the business. But you may say to them, because, for example, it's an owner-managed business and these shareholders, owner-shareholders are very important to the business, you say, well, I'm going to give you this amount, but I'm going to make it contingent on you remaining employed with the business for X amount of time after the transaction. Yeah. Now, the tricky bit there is that now we've got two things going on. Potentially, one might say is, is you know, there's a, there's a bit... Uh, I'm trying to acquire the business from the seller but I'm also saying to the seller I want some services from you and the standard again is very clear here so it says if you make a payment in in this context and it is contingent on or it's, it's dependent on service then it is not consideration that is that is consideration or compensation for employee services so you're receiving something else you're receiving a service it's not control of the company. And in the early days of sort of five for us three when it had this big overhaul, we had some quite not great accounting <laughs> answers, somewhere argue, yeah. where a hundred percent of the consideration being given to a seller was wholly contingent on future employment. And we would say, well sorry, the standard is very clear. Yeah. All of those amounts you paid are not consideration for the business combination. You got that for free. You got that for free, <laughs> effectively. All of it is consideration for future employee services. So when you come to do your business combination accounting, like we talked about the be- about in the beginning, in terms of comparing your consideration to the assets and liabilities you acquired, well, the number you now assume consideration yeah. is nil, and obviously that that gives quite an interesting result in terms of negative goodwill. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, and there are, there's a number of indicators in there in the standard on how you decide stress. if something is consideration yes. and compensation. Yeah, and one thing I would highlight here is where a payment is very clearly, explicitly linked to service, for example, the contract actually says you only get this if you provide freer yeah. 3 service, and um, the standard is explicit, that is always consideration, pretty much always consideration yeah. for future employee services. Where it's not that explicit, so where the contract doesn't really say, but... You know they're working there you know, as well. <laughs> you know they're working there as well. There's probably some other factors. to That's where the, the standard then has a number of different indicators that you would then work through to say, okay, on the balance of evidence, yeah, does this have the characteristics of a payment for future services or does it have the characteristics of... of consideration and i've even seen somewhere you have to bifurcate it between the two and very or Ruth, you have just used the really complicated <laughs> word bifurcate <laughs> so nice and clever it's very rare that happens in the studio okay and just before we move on to the next bit of the sort of uh, equation what with continued consideration why don't people like it why is it the thing that you know really they prefer an asset acquisition continued consideration again it's like things in IFRS 3 IFRS 3 is very clear so, it says, well, you have this, this kind of contingent consideration. On day one, yeah. you estimate its fair value. So, you estimate how much you might, as a as an acquirer, pay out in terms of assuming it is a payout situation to the seller in terms of this additional contingent yeah. consideration. Then what happens, day two, yeah. any changes in, the, in that estimate, uh, the effect of those changes end up in your profit and loss account. Okay. So, you, what we used to have, again, going back days gone by... Mm-hmm. Contingent consideration, again, similar thing, you would have an estimate of its value on day yeah. one, but we used to be able to take the adjustments to the, the to goodwill, effectively okay. to, to the asset side. IFRS3 again, as I said, very clear. And there's yeah. lots of points in IFRS three where it's it's just clear on what you have to yeah. do. People don't necessarily like that answer in the in the sense that it does potentially relate result in income statement volatility. Yeah in the years following the acquisition. And that's quite painful if there is some, you know, actual genuine volatility in the amount that you estimate you're going to pay. But also if these contingent consideration periods extend five years, 10, you know, extreme, extreme circumstances, but, you know, a number of years after the acquisition to carry on getting this volatility post-acquisition isn't always the greatest um, from a reporting standpoint. Yeah, okay, perfect. And I think you see that in some industries more than others, don't you? Okay, so that was the consideration part. So tricky bits, contingent consideration, that difference between compensation versus consideration. Then we move into the other bit you said, which is like the non-controlling interest, the bit you don't buy. Anything there we should watch out for? Yeah, so non-controlling interest, and again, just use a very simple example to reiterate what we mean. So if I acquire 70% of the shares of a company, and I acquire control of that company. When we talk about non-controlling interest, non-controlling interest is those 30% of shares you don't own. So you don't, you have control over the company uh, because you have the vast majority of the shares, but there's this 30% that you don't. And on acquisition, the standard again gives you two options as to how you account for that non-controlling interest. So in business combinations accounting, what happens is you bring the full value of the company you've acquired onto your balance sheet, so 100% of the value of the assets and the liabilities go onto the top half of your balance sheet and you recognise the fact that in my example you don't own the 30% or you don't own effectively 30% of the those assets and liabilities by reflecting or measuring non-controlling interest in equity and you've got two ways you can measure that on acquisition and it's only on acquisition you've got two, two options one is to say well I will represent the value of that non-controlling interest by taking 30% of just the fair value of the assets and liabilities that I've put on my balance sheet. So if the fair value of those net assets is 100, I will have non-controlling interest of 30 sitting in my equity section. Or I could say I could measure non-controlling interest on the basis of the fair value of the entire business. So say I paid 150, so in a really sort of please, paid 150, the assets in line, net assets are worth, fair value of those are 100. So if I was to do non controlling interest on a fair value, full fair value basis, I'd take 30% of the 150, so full fair value of the business, and that would give me a 45 non controlling interest as opposed to 30. That is a choice. So that's a choice you made just purely on day one. Okay. The day two accounting is the same then, depends doesn't matter what sort of method or option you used on day one. If I'm honest, it varies by jurisdiction and territory. More often than not, you'll see people use that proportionate net asset method. So the the method that gets you the 30% of the the fair value net assets acquired so the 30 in my example yeah. That's definitely impressive. when i first like first changed it was a big thing wasn't it, it was like oh thing. there's a choice what's everyone i going to do now yeah. it seems to be like it's just a, yeah, a dumb thing i mean it is actually it's a choice that's freely available by by acquisition so it's not a policy choice you can yeah. change your mind from acquisition to acquisition again i, w- I wouldn't say i've seen that no. uh, wholly frequently either but yeah it yeah it was definitely like say a bit a big Herald is a a big change, but actually in practice, not not so much. Yeah. And any other tricky bits to watch out for in NCI? Is that normally the easy bit? That's... probably an easier bit it's more than the, the transactions and non-controlling interest which probably to be honest Ruth is a whole well, we could have a whole 20 minutes on that baby different podcast okay we'll have you back to talk about <laughs> transactions at um, a later date okay so we've talked about what we pay we talked about what we don't own then obviously the standard says that you have to recognize all the assets you acquire and liabilities you assume mm-hmm. any again tricky bits we need to watch out for in the assets and liabilities yes are. so it sounds, it sounds like Kind of straightforward. Yeah. So you go off, you go, just learn, list everything you've you've acquired, and it's it's certainly to say it's easy, but it, you know the things that are already on the acquired entity's balance sheet, so that the assets and liabilities you can see on their balance sheet. That's easy enough because yeah. you can go and assess well, what's the fair value of each of those lines. The trickier bit is what's not there. So the things that are not on the balance sheet today. And the most common example is intangible assets. Yeah. So I'll give a really sort of basic example um, to sort of bring home the principle in IFRS 3. So IFRS 3 says you must fair value all of the assets and all of the IDOs, oh, so key term identifiable assets and liabilities that you acquire on the acquisition date and it is an objective measure so it's objectively saying what did you doesn't matter what you intend to do with these assets and liabilities on day day 2 on day 1 at the acquisition date what is the value of everything you've acquired so in terms of intangible assets not all of the intangible assets that you've acquired with the and I just used Air quasar that you've acquired with the, with the business will be on the balance sheet. And a really good example of that is a brand. So vast majority of brands uh, are usually internally generated within an organisation and won't appear on the balance sheet, but you know they're there. You might go out and make an acquisition and say, well, that' great, that company's got a brand. I don't want to use that brand. I'm going to put in my own brand. So actually, when I go in and fair value, I'm just going to ignore that because that doesn't matter for me from, from an acquire point of view. Standard doesn't say that. Standard actually explicitly says mm-hmm. acquire intention is not taken into account. There's actually a specific piece that, that says that. So you would be required to fair value the brand on the at the acquisition date. What would probably happen in that scenario for those thinking, well, what does happen on day yeah. two? Absolutely, on day two, if, if you intend to completely disregard that brand and yeah. not use it at all, you will have an impairment, a full impairment probably in that case, on at day two, but on day one, you must acknowledge the fact that you did acquire a business that did have this intangible asset uh, in it as at the acquisition day. Yeah, so, I presume you can't say the fair value is zero. No, you can't say that either. And again, you know, it, I still get that question to this day. Yeah, less so now. I think people are, are coming around to this concept of I must fair value everything I've acquired. But there, there is this instinctive gut reaction of well, it's got no value. Surely it must be zero. Yeah. And any missing liabilities we miss? There tend to be, liabilities tend to be less so. The one that you will hear about, uh, certainly it's talked about in the standard, is contingent liabilities. So it says you must fair value all identifiable assets, liabilities, and contingent liabilities. There's not all types of contingent liability, only certain types of contingent liability that you then have to recognise a liability for, as at the acquisition. Okay, perfect. Moving through, so we've done the assets and liabilities. There's a section in the standard that talks about separate transactions. Mm-hmm. So transactions that you might pay for, but actually they're not part of the business combination. Mm-hmm. So we've talk, talked about acquisition yes. costs uh, yes. and compensation. Any other ones there to watch out for? Yeah, I mean, the other one, and I would come back to, and I will reiterate this for our, our listeners, you know, The reason that we have the separate transactions guidance is the fact that in IFRS 3, again, this concept of consideration for the business combination only being the amounts that you transfer to the seller to acquire control. And then the standard goes, lots of payments might happen in the context of the business combination because it's just that kind of transaction. And you have to sit there and separate out these transactions that really have nothing to do with the business combination. So obviously we've touched on. The two sort of major ones that the standard specifically calls out is, as you say, employee compensation and transaction costs. There is a third one around pre-existing relationships. And what that covers, and again, this is one that actually we could probably do a whole yeah, separate podcast yeah. on. It's very true. But the concept I would urge our listeners to bear in mind is this is looking at scenarios where you go out and you acquire a company But actually, you already have, for example, a trading relationship with that company. Now, by virtue of the fact that you've gone in and you've acquired that company, that trading relationship now automatically becomes intercompany. company. It cancels out. And it, again, in days gone by, would have gone, no, that's fine. That just collapses. (laughs) We we don't need to do anything about that. IFRS 3, again, when it was revised a decade ago, said, well, hang on a second. You're doing two things here. You've got obviously the business combination, which is acquiring control of this company. But actually, you've also, by virtue of doing that, you have settled this pre-existing relationship, this pre-existing trading relationship. And in normal life, you wouldn't just settle a relationship for no money whatsoever. Yeah. If you were going to terminate a relationship, there would either be a, a payment you would make to the acquiry in this case, or a payment the acquiry would make to you depending on which way this relationship is going. So you can't assume the fact that, for example, I've paid £10 million or $10 million to acquire this company, that that is wholly just to acquire control. Actually, some of that £10 million payment relates to the fact that this relationship is being settled. So you've got to carve out an amount or figure out how much of that amount relates to settling this pre-existing relationship. And that, again, was an entirely new, entirely yeah. new concept still confuses people to this day and yeah, it like a whole other podcast. Yeah. But I would I would urge sort of listeners again to, to bear in mind that any time you have an existing trading relationship, a loan relationship, even sometimes a legal case, yeah. all sorts of things do bear in mind that there is a section in IFRS 3 that talks about separate yeah. transactions and pre-existing relationships yeah that's, we, whenever I've seen that come up that's always a bit tricky one that we've debated for a long time okay so then we've got the balance going to goodwill and well, we've done podcasts mm-hmm. on impairment and mm-hmm. I think Mary when she came in, talked a little bit about gain on bargain mm-hmm. purchases as well so you're, we're coming towards the end of the podcast now mm-hmm. what I always like to do as well is just is anything going on are regulators specifically looking at this or um, you know what's going on at the board could you give us a bit of an update yeah there? absolutely so regulators on and off do pick up business combinations as a hot topic area and and it tends to vary with market activity and we're, we're sort of starting to see a, a pickup in in m a activity and hence therefore the regulators are interested so esma the european securities markets authority um recently sort of talked about priorities picked up the fact that they're they are interested in focusing on IFRS3 again. And actually, one of the points they pick up, interesting that they do this, is is, is this employee compensation okay. consideration point. Yeah. Which you think, well, this this hasn't really changed right. over the last 10 years, but clearly there is some concern potentially that you know perhaps there are certain acquisitions where that point is being missed. Yeah. The other thing that they're they're quite or will be quite focused on is this point around intangible assets. So making sure that companies are separately recognising all of, of the separable intangible assets that they should be recognising. And again, emphasising to, 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 to preparers that they must make sure they recognise all of these intangible assets. And then disclosures. I mean, disclosures are always... Always improved. Always, <laughs> always could be improved. And there's lots of, lots of specific disclosures in, in, uh, in IFRS 3. There's also certain fair value disclosures in IFRS 13, the fair value standard, that actually aren't applicable in this kind of circumstance where you're using fair value in measuring and measuring things you acquire, but actually, Esma particularly have urged preparers to say, "Well, while it's, there are certain things that aren't required for you to disclose. Please bear in mind that there are overall disclosure requirements around judgments yeah. and estimates, and, and make sure you're disclosing enough." Picking up on sort of the board or the board, or yeah, of the board of we know definition of a business, obviously. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so that will be a, a very big change, certainly once that comes in. The other big area that they're looking at is business combinations under common control. So where you have an acquisition, that involves two entities that are ultimately controlled by the same party or parties. Because IFRS 3, as it stands right now, very specifically says those types of transactions, whilst they are acknowledging business business combinations, they scope those types of transactions out of the standard. And you're left with this question, what do I do? And actually coming back to the regulator point, ESMA specifically noted that, you know, this is an area where we yeah, know yeah. there isn't there isn't guidance. You know, we'd urge companies to be clear about what policy they've applied. So as with any area in IFRS where there isn't specific guidance, the accounting policy standard says to you, well, you will need to develop an accounting policy and apply that consistently. So again, from a regulator standpoint, they are aware that, you know, people do different things with these types of transactions And urging preparers to be transparent in their policy, and obviously consistent in the policy they apply. Yeah, common again, like (laughs) we keep saying it. Avni, I think we'll be having you back again because common control definitely is a tricky one, and you see it so much in group scenarios as well. Brilliant, thank you so much for joining us today. So we went through there, some of the basics behind IFRS 3 and sort of some watch out areas that people typically miss. If you would like more information on business combinations, we've got lots on Common Control as well in our Manual of Accounting and on PwC Inform. And thanks for tuning in today, happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by Coopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.